Welcome to the Crush, Screen and In Between podcast brought to you by Evoquip. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Crush, Screen and In Between podcast from Evoquip. Um, I know it's been quite some time since we had a, had a podcast, there's been a few changes. Um, Sadly, Michael has le- left the business, still within the Evoquip family, but, but left the business and, and Declan's moved on, but with Gemma here in the background, um, keeping us all right. Trying to. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be spot on. Um, so today we have a special guest um, come in to chat this on the podcast. Um, Matt Dixon's here from, from Finlay. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, so I know it's been 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 a while. It's been a pretty busy couple of months. We had our our, our dealer our dealer day, and I know Finley and Parshreen had their days too. So it's been a pretty busy few months. How'd that go for you, Matt? Yeah, no, it went well, Andrew. Um, we had there two weeks ago in Barcelona, so a number of dealers from all over the world. So no, it went very good. That's good. You know, Parshreen went to Italy. You guys were in Barcelona. We were in. Punchestown, so you know where the money is in in Terex. In so fairness, <laughs> sure you have to treat yourselves, Matt. Have to treat yourselves. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming on here, Matt. Um, and have a chat with us. Do you want to introduce yourself and yeah. give us an insight into yourself yeah, and what so you do? My name is Matt Dixon. Um, I'm the business line director for Finley, and I'm also the general manager of our mobile crusher centre of excellence here in Omagh. So give us a bit of background, Matt, and how you got into the industry and and your various roles and experience. I suppose where to start. Um, Back in 2001, I suppose that's how I got into the industry. I was at university, and during that time, I, part of my course was actually an opportunity to do a diploma in industrial studies. Um, you know, we had to do a work placement. So back then, I actually applied for a role with Throne Brick um, up in Dungannon. And, and ironically, that's the site now that's owned by Rollmaster. I was just, I was successful with that interview, but then that company actually bought over, and then around May time, they they called me to say they didn't actually need me in that role anymore. And then I suppose I didn't really know what I was going to do then because I still needed a placement from it from a year out. Um, so I was actually down the local rugby club, I was playing rugby that Saturday and I was just chatting to a few of the guys after afterwards in the bar and one of the guys said to me, he said, here, he'd give me a call maybe to start of the week. He maybe knew something was coming up, you know. So he actually called me in the Monday evening, he says, here, he said, call down to the Oma factory and ask for a guy called David Lyons. So anybody who knows David from Infinity knows David's been here 43 years. So I called in, had a good chat with him, and he offered me a placement within the data accuracy team. So that was kind of looking after the whole creation of bills and materials, setting up, um, working on the production team, stores, purchasing. And then throughout... No, that, that was placement from the university. That was placement throughout that year then. I went until do a bit of ACO, engineering change coordinator role, and that involved taking all the changes made by the engineers and getting them implemented on the machine. So overall, it's a really good way of getting to learn the equipment, learn the machines, and learn the industry. And then through, whenever I was going back to university, I actually done my final year project through here as well. I actually designed a 65-foot track conveyor at that point. Um, and then I came back out of university, I, I got a full-time role just as a graduate and worked on all the different types of screens, inclined screens, scalping screens and thermals, and um, before moving on into the looking after the, the crusher leg. Um I, did, I didn't realise actually you got a, you got a job a job in throwing brick and how things could have changed if you had a had that job had I went ahead. I know it's, it's different altogether, but then I suppose our industry is one of them now it's one of the things I really like about it. This the industry is quite you know, everybody knows each other. You know, no matter what who you're working for, everybody knows awful lot of different people. That's one of the things I like about it. It's, you know, 
I suppose if you take a look around all the world, there's a lot of a lot of people from Ireland and stuff all mm. over the globe selling crushing and screwing equipment. I think you know from Ireland, so there's so much of the actual machinery is actually staying out of Tyrone. Like, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thankfully, it's not a massive impact to run. You were there's quite a wide range of experience then, Matt. Um, you you were, you were the jaw lead, the jaw crusher lead. Yeah, point. that's whenever I moved out of the screens, I moved into looking after the the jaw crusher design um, and for filling. I looked after that, and uh, I was involved a bit in impact design at the start. But then as the product range grew, I kind of specialised in, in the jaw line. And what? Why did you? Why did you gravitate toward crushers? Or obviously you've worked in conveyors and scalpers, screens and trommels here. Why, why crushers? Why did you? I think at that time it was just because crushers was, you know, Finley introduced crushers in 2005. Um, and it was it was something new and something that really was interesting to me. And, you know, some of the control systems and even the hydraulic systems and all was just a wee bit more complex. And I just liked the thought of getting involved with that and learning about the different technologies. Okay, and, and suppose from, from memory, before mm. my time, but there's quite a lot of change in the business around that sort of wait time, was it, with the, the pegs and crushers coming to Oma and, Oma and the Finney screens during Gannon? I suppose, can you tell us a bit about the, that change and some of the challenges maybe that came about because of that? Yeah, that all happened around 2008, it was around, as you say, the time of the recession. Um, the decision was taken then to close the, the factory over in Coval and move the pegs and crushers over to Oma because the Oma side actually had experience in manufacturing the Finley crushers at the time and then we moved the Finley screens from Oma up to Dungannon and I suppose in doing that created two centre of excellence which we know today um, we also then <coughs> I suppose during that time we also then had to reorganise our decision was taken to reorganise the engineering organisation um, just to align with the different sites um, and at that point then I became the engineer manager for the crusher plant um, so for me that was it was probably one of the, the it was one of the challenges initially because you're you're previously aligned with one brand whereas now as, as that role I was aligned with you know designing equipment for both filming and power screen so I'm sure that went very went very straightforward and there was no rise or, or no upsets over the, the deal branded no there was, no, there was nothing you know, it wasn't too bad there was I suppose at the time at the start, it took a long, it took a bit of time just to get close to the distribution network and get the thrust, if you know what I mean. Point, but I think over that period, <laughs> over that period of time, over the, the five or six years I was in the role, they really grew the thrust on, on the, the engineering team, and uh, I think that's something which developed and showed that the brand didn't really, from an engineering perspective, they were just designing what the brand and the brand product management teams wanted. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, and you mentioned there, um, sort of the crushing, the crushing center of excellence. And do you think that having the crushers being focused on one site helped with the quality and screeners is sort of obviously the same thing? I think so, Andy. From a point of view of you're dealing with the same sort of synergies, you're dealing with the same sort of hydro, hydraulic systems, the same sort of electrical systems. Um, you know that on the crusher side, obviously your chassis is always a bit heavier engineered. Um, so I do think there are synergies there which they have to beneficial if they're being manufactured on the, on the central site like. okay <coughs> and how, lo- how long were you an engineer in total then? I was a, I was engineer from a community university in 2003 and I became engineer manager just and really started in 2009 and I stayed in that role then up to 2015 so, so what made you move then from a, a very heavy sort of engineering background and into the more corporate side? I suppose one of the things I liked with it, whenever I was within, within the engineering team, I really enjoyed working closely with the dealers and, and customers and 
I always felt that I was good at listening and taking the feedback from the, the dealers, customers, back to the team and helping make improvements and make machines better. Um, and then the opportunity came up for the role of business line director for a new compact crushing screening line. Um, and this was something I was really interested in as I felt the role helped give me that next step in my career, but also gave me the opportunity to start a business from scratch, shape and develop a portfolio to suit that business, and then also meet the needs of the customer base. I suppose then on the EvoQuip then, how much of a challenge was to, to, to start the business from scratch and, and take it on board? So EvoQuip started, uh, we formed it back in 2016 to focus really on the compact crushing screening and, and recycling sector. And from the market research we conducted, we believed that you know there's a different customer base, different market opportunity to those traditionally been served, like power screen and Finley. Um, we felt that there was a opportunity there for entry level customers or smaller startup businesses that maybe wanted to diversify. And whenever we started the, the business, we found opportunities with paving contractors, building and construction companies, agricultural landscaping companies, and, and our ethos at that time was really to provide a range of equipment so it was easy to operate or easy to transport and fuel efficient. Um, so a lot of the ethos was really put around the on-site recycle, you know, processing the material on-site mm-hmm. and reusing it there rather than actually hauling it off and processing a, a central recycle centre. Yeah, and, and, and obviously, you know, we've seen that grow massively and here I think looking back it was a it was a it was a great decision to, to do that and obviously a success Matt that you made of, of the brand and and w- tell me about tell me this green evil Quip green why why green why not pink or purple or or something else <laughs> here you're asking the wrong person to do that that's one of the things everybody asked me what because everybody knows have a bit of a love for motorbikes and they always thought it was to do with Kawasaki green but um actually as a, as a gentleman who knows here that I'm colorblind so it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's just lucky and, I think it's just lucky and picking a good color so. no it works well you're better than pink anyway um yeah. which could have been um I suppose back in the evil quip biggest challenge you think back in the early days uh, probably the biggest challenge I, I found forming the evil quip was that you're a small whenever you're a small startup business you can imagine that resources is quite um limited and that meant that you're involved in every aspect, like as you, as you mentioned, that was involved in decisions such as the creation of the brand name, picking the colour, developing the marketing strategy or developing the portfolio, and looking at how we go to distrib- distribute the product as well as the whole customer support and finance side. So I think because you're small, you have to be able to dabble your toe and get involved in everything. But I found that also at the same side, really useful learning tool for me um, because it let me really understand all the different areas of the business whenever you're starting from scratch and now one of the things I would say which really helped me was that I obviously was with Terex at the time 12 years um, and the benefit I felt for that was I had a lot of contacts within the business and if I needed help I knew who to reach out to who to talk to and you know had a lot of relation, business relationships you know within and, and then people were very helpful and able to encourage me and, and point me in the right direction um, and here, same as anything, I think, whenever you go back to the smaller business, I think one of the best ways to learn is just actually rolling the sleeves up and getting stuck in like. Yeah, and it's something, I suppose, even now, I quite enjoy about Evo Quip, it's the small, the small business and you, you get involved in quite a lot and whether it's annoying Gemma and marketing or... Or me annoying you. Exactly. But yeah, no, and, and I, 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 I do enjoy that side, so it, it's it's funny you, you, you mentioned that, Matt. And and then biggest success, you think, from when Evo Cup started? From when Evo Cup started? Yeah. 
for me, in your time, for me, the biggest success from within my time for Evoquip was just how quickly the business grew over the five years. Like, and it's still, as you know, Andy and Gemma, it's still continuing to grow today. Like, right, so mm-hmm. that's something to be really proud of as a brand, right? Um, for me, it also was rewarding to see all the new product launches. You know, the, you know that's coming from the engineering background. Whether it was the Cobra Two Thirty R, Cobra Two Ninety R, or Colt One Thousand being launched, I just felt that was was key. Um, and then I suppose to support the the growth, I felt it was crucial. Obviously, we had to invest in the business and build a, a dynamic customer responsive team. And I'm a firm believer that within business, people is your biggest asset. And if you get this right, the business goes from strength to strength. And I was always very proud of the team I had. Even equip everybody worked hard together, and they're always there, willing to listen, help, do whatever they can. I think that created the family feel that helped establish the brand and, and build the relationship and the trust with the dealer network. Um, and I suppose part of that I'd like just to pay testament to the dealer network as well and thank them for their business whenever I was involved um, and the engagement they had with the brand and the help and the support they gave me, right? Um, for me, it was, it was a great experience, one I always look back on very fondly. Um, I really enjoyed my time with Equip and, and getting to know everyone and, and build relationships and actually build a lot of good friendships out of it as well. So. Yeah. And, and do you think, you know, having the Terex back in gave Equip much of a help or, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, obviously doing Equip as its own? Would have been difficult, but you know, obviously, it had the Finley Park and Terex name behind it. Did that give much of a food up? I think probably one of the biggest benefits it had was back even to me, it was whenever I was involved with setting up the business. You have a lot of people over there that you can bounce ideas off and get the support and involvement from. Like, and one of the benefits I would think Evoquip had was they were taken from like, well, there was a new crusher and a new screen being designed. You're pulling from a pool of engineers that had significant experience, mm-hmm. and then the product was being manufactured in factories that had significant level of experience producing it. So I think it was it did add a lot of value that way. I suppose, and and, and touching back on your your comment about sort of crushing crushing centers of excellence, and you yeah. know what the benefit of those, you know, straight off the bat and, and from yeah. the start. So no, that that's definitely is key. Like and and being able just to, you know, you have a lot of experience within like if. The business, if you know what I mean, and I know, I was even just doing a thing there recently for within for the Finley dealer conference, and one of the things I was looking at was the experience we had within the team, and within the Finley team, we had seven hundred years experience, just from the Finley brand team. Yeah. I sometimes think if you actually pulled all the experience we have here from the people on the shop floor to the engineers, I would, I would hate to think where the years of experience is like. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a benefit to the business. Yeah. Yeah. And then I suppose you obviously you moved to, you moved from. From Evoquip into into the Finley role, um, how do you find the similarities between moving from a, I suppose a startup to then a well-established um, one of the market leaders? For me, there are, there are still a lot of similarities between the two businesses. For instance, if I, if I look at it, both brands are very focused on customer being customer responsive. Um, everybody's willing to listen and help. Um, both brands are also focused on product development to try and address any gaps there may be in their portfolios. And both continually are working to try and address any geographic gaps as well. Um, I know we've done quite a bit of development for Finley in North America of late, but if we look over in other regions, there's there's other areas of opportunity. And you know yourself, Andy, then Evoquip, there's a lot of opportunity for, mm-hmm. for different territory expansion. And what are the main differences then? The main difference for me moving from Evoquip to Finley was probably around the scale of the business, you know, just the general size, just because. And particularly around sales volumes, given the Finley's well established, 
brand, right? Um, compared to you've got pushed on in the early years, but at the same time, that's quite reflective as well with the structure within the organisation. Like you know, if if I looked at Finley, there was a team of dedicated people focused on you know whether it's application support or whether it's doing development. If I look at Evoquip, you probably had maybe one person doing dual roles. Um, but here, that as Evoquip evolves and and keeps continuing to grow, that will come as well. So. Like gives you more of a chance to delegate now. Yeah, that, that's and that's the bit that you have to do. I suppose that was the, one of the biggest learning curves for me whenever I took on the new role. Is I couldn't get into the detail the way I was with Evoquip. I had to step back a bit and you know empower yeah. your team and let them do. And then I suppose on to that, you know, you're you're sort of a dual role now with the business line director and also the, the GM of site. How do you find that balance between running the brand and then the factory that's multi-branded? It's for me. It's really important to maintain a good balance across the rules. Um, sometimes you can sway depending on you know, depending on market sentiment, right? I suppose for instance, over the last few years, and my role, the key focus of it was trying to ensure that we were doing what we could to ramp up the crusher production to meet the, the needs of the brands. Um, which I'm sure was a massive challenge. Which was a massive challenge in, in this time, you know, particularly with all the supply chain challenges we were facing uh, and cost pressures. Um, but no, you know, that, that's really where the focus was then. But um, now, probably as markets are starting to you know, the signs of some soften in certain areas, it's probably to change my focus a wee bit and I'll probably have to get more focus on the actual geographic development and where we go, where we go next with Finlay. Um, but thankfully, one of the things I'll say is whether it's a brand or site level, I have a very strong management team in both. Um, and as I mentioned, one of the things I like to do is try and empower the team to make good decisions. And then just have regular reviews and, and check-ins with them just to keep on top of things. Okay. So the, the recent Finley rebranding, Matt, um, what drove that and, and how was it received? So I suppose after rejoining the Finley family back in 2020, one of the first things I done was to have calls along with my team with various dealers around the world. Um, just to listen to their thoughts, opinions, get their feedback on the value that Finley offers their business. Um, and from... From these calls, there seemed to be several themes kept reoccurring. You know, the words legacy and heritage came up nearly every single conversation. And this is something that we're very proud of. This has been our, our 65th year here in, in business. Um, the dealer also, dealers also told us the Finley were market leaders in our industry and, and that we offered an extensive product range that's strong, reliable and robust. Um, and that our team are also very knowledgeable and experienced and, and really care. And, and a number of them actually, a number of the dealers actually said about and referred to the family feel that there was between the two businesses. So from this feedback it became fairly clear that there was a desire to make Finley more prominent in the branding. Um, and uh, you asked how it was received, suppose having launched it at Hillhead um, in 2022, the feedback we've got so far from customers and dealers are saying that it's a nice, fresh, modern identity, but still ties back very much to the, the heritage and core values that, that Finley was renowned for. Yeah, it looks really good, I think, you know, on the machines and stuff and the market, it's really, really strong and now catches the eye, definitely. I suppose, what, what's next for the Finley brand and, and where do you see sort of the opportunities and challenges coming up? So for Finley, um, here, for us, you know, we still see opportunities, a lot of opportunities still in distribution development. Um, as well as looking at innovation. And one of the other areas I really want us to continue to focus on as well is the development of our people and our team. Um, I think overall, from a market perspective within the cross screening industry, there's probably more of, 
you, I think you've some of your recent podcasts, Andy, saying it. There's a drive really coming for electrification, and that's really starting to become more prominent and something that we're really sure that we're focusing on as well as part of our roadmap. And where do you plan to focus on distribution-wise? Where are the key areas? For Finlay, I think there's probably with opportunities in the likes of um, Middle East, you know, whether it's likes of Saudi or, or Qatar, uh, and even over in the Southeast Asia, you know, there's opportunity there as well, um, and, and that's probably to the markets. And we're still, you know, we've done a lot of good work in North America of late, um, but there's still some areas of white space we have to fill there, and, and similarly in, in Europe, there's just some areas we need to really just focus on. Okay, and, and, and you suppose you mentioned electrification there and, and alternative power, and obviously we know that's a buzzword in the industry. Um, I suppose, do you see, you also mentioned sort of the, the market softening slightly. Do you see, or, or what may be a bit of a softening market, do you see the electrification still being as prominent with a softening market, or do, you, or do you think it might be a drop-off? I think there's certain regions which are still going to keep it very prominent. Like, if you take... If you take a look up at the likes of you know Norway, Sweden, you know up in them hmm. Scandinavian regions, right? You know you you see that there's a strong demand there for electric product, um, and even down until you're seeing it more and more in Europe, you know whether it's the likes of Germany or Switzerland, or you know you're seeing a demand there for the product. So I think I think that's going to cre- keep that demand, um, but from a point of view. Off, you're asking about if the market soften, do you see it dropping off? I would say it may, it may really slow things down. That the, the the demand mightn't come in areas like if we take a likes of Ireland or something like that. You know where we have a wee bit of traction of mm-hmm. late on, on electric products. So. Okay, okay. So maybe regions that haven't haven't really bought into it yet probably aren't going to go that soon. But the guys regions who have will stay strong. You think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose here, um, two more questions. I think Matt, and we'll give we'll give you a break then. Um, what is the best experience? What's the best learning experience you've had professionally? I suppose overall for me, I think the opportunities Terex has given me throughout my career has helped me develop personally and professionally. Um, if I look back, I've done various roles from from where I started in the placement right through the engineering team in the commercial role as I started with Evoquip, and then. More recently, whenever I transitioned back into the, the Finlay um, brand business line director and the Omosite GM, I've also now got more involved operationally. Um, I think being part of that larger corporation allowed me an ability to travel around different sites, meet different people and learn from others in the business. Um, and one of the things, as I mentioned, quite key about people development, one of the things I really believe in is mentoring. Um, I think that's key in professional development. And, it's something I've been very lucky to have. Um, if I look back, you know, whenever I started on the when I started on the commercial side, Jeff Biddy, he was on the on the commercial side. He was mentoring me, and then more recently on the operations side, it was Gary Cardwell. So that that help was really you know helped me in my career. And now I've actually transitioned over to actually trying to mentor and, and help some other team members and and give some you know give my thoughts or opinions or guidance if if I. And it's come full, full circle somewhat. Yeah. And then, what's the best bit of advice you've ever received? Honestly, probably one of the best bits of advice I actually received came from one of the dealers I work with. Um, he, he told me that business is all about relationships, and, and the key to a strong partnership must start by having a strong relationship between the dealer and the different contact points within within the OEM or within the business. Um, and looking back, <laughs> it really rings through for me because. I remember when I moved from the engineer into commercial role, 
uh, you know, I look at the relationships I built throughout my time and, and the engineering side and and whenever I moved into that commercial role, a lot of the dealers that I had built strong connections with really invested in Evoquip at the time and and you know, the, the trust that them dealers had in me and also in the brand and you know, something that I think helped the business and also something I'm really thankful for. And do you think in the sort of here this the digital age and everything's going online do you think it's important to keep that relationship on side in, in our industry rather than losing it to sort of you know a, a, a phone or a you know online it's important to keep that I, I think there's a there's definitely digitalization there's a key need for that within our industry right that's obviously we see it on our social media we see it in our marketing we see it in all different aspects how we do customer support and all but that said there's definitely a, a need for having that face-to-face contact, meeting customers, getting out in front of customers, getting out and meeting the dealerships because, again, I just go back to the point where you actually have to build the relationship, you know, by being out and, and talking with people. Mm. And sometimes it's a general chit-chat in the car or over a bite of dinner that you actually learn more than you actually do if you're having a face-to-face Teams meeting, you know, via you know, some of the digital software that's there. So. Okay. That's great, Matt. Thank you very much. You can relax now. All right, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, Gemma. It's good to see you back, eh? Hello. And uh, thanks for having us here, Noma, Matt. Uh, um, yeah, so th- thanks all for listening. And uh, please like, subscribe and share. And, uh, and thanks again.